Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Sharon is actually not going to be hosting with me today. She's still in New York. So I have the privilege of having our most favorite guest co-host, Yvonne <laughs> Nightinger. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Becky. I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Just tell them briefly your little bit there. Absolutely. My name is Yvonne Nidiger, and I have had the privilege of taking on the responsibility of being our patient outreach coordinator at Breast Friends. And, and my personal story, I was a, a stage three breast cancer patient seven years ago, went through everything thing but the kitchen sink and I think they even may have thrown a kitchen sink at me at one point or another but I managed to persevere and and my goal in life at the time that I was finished with treatment was to pay forward the acts of kindness that had been done for me and I was able to find that resource and opportunity with breast friends so I'm and yes you have indeed to be here (laughs) well we're so glad that you're part of our team and and as as she mentioned breast friends Sharon and I are actually the co-founders of breast friends, but we've brought on some tremendous people to help us in our mission, and Yvonne is one of those truly amazing people. So thanks for being part of what we do. And before we introduce our guest today, I wanted to just kind of take a minute and explain, we do invite a variety of guests to be on our show. And, you know, we all know cancer is is not easy to treat, and there are many different options, and not every option is necessary based on the type of cancer you have. Uh, Many of them are, but we do share information on a variety of topics so that you can make informed choices when the when the it's unfortunately your chance to go through this. And Yvonne, I know you have something you wanted to share around. I think it had to do with cross and T's and dot and I's. So why don't you? Yeah, and, and you know, kind of a, a couple of thoughts that in, in you know thinking about our conversation today. One thing is that I think when. When people are faced with the decisions we have to make in this particular situation, everything is happening very quickly. And one of the things I always tell my patients is when a decision is finally reached and made, what you need to do is you need to own your decision, whatever it happens to be, because there's going to be a lot of people around you that are going to have opinions. And they're going to tell you after the fact that, oh, you shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I, I think it's really important that as a patient, you get the most information you can. Can, you weigh and measure everything and like with myself um, when I was approached with the fact that I was going to have to do radiation um, I really questioned at that time after chemotherapy and a bilateral mastectomy gee why was it really necessary and uh, my doctor said something to me that was very profound and, and it made me make my decision and that was she said Yvonne cross your T's and dot your I's and you know that really lingered with me and mm-hmm. made me realize that um I wanted to finish the process. And for me, personally, that choice was my finish. So, yeah, yeah I think it's I think it's just, um, we know we have so many steps, whether it's chemotherapy, reconstruction, radiation. Um, these are all steps that we each have to make a decision based on our own story and our mm-hmm. own knowledge base. And then we have to own it. So, yeah. you know, hopefully this show uh, is going to give people another piece to their puzzle if they're 
they're mm-hmm. looking for answers. And I'm really looking forward to hearing yeah. Dr. Wilkinson. So me too. And and so thank you, Yvonne. And you know, I'm a big believer, always have been, in radiation therapy because of my three diagnoses. I had radiation the first time and it did not come back on that side. I did not have radiation the second time because I had a double mastectomy. And doggone it if my cancer didn't return so the third time they called it consistent with metastatic disease my only option was radiation and that's what we did and that was in 2009 and so far I'm knocking on wood but so far we (laughs) haven't seen any any recurrence of that so you know I'm a big believer and our guest today is an expert in this area Um, Dr. Wilkinson is a board certified radiation oncologist and the medical director of Provision Cares Proton Therapy Center in Knoxville Tennessee Dr. Dr. Wilkinson's clinic. Uh, They focus on treatment of prostate, breast, and lung cancers, as well as brain tumors and pediatric malignancies. Oh, I just hate that idea. Um, He was named, and I think this is so cool, um, he was named, and I love this quote, more than pink hero by the Susan G. Komen Foundation. He's a board member of Radiating Hope, a nonprofit that provides radiation treatment equipment to developing countries, which is so awesome because these are places like Panama, Senegal, Nepal, Maybe more, I don't know. But this is all very exciting and it shows that he's got a true warrior spirit and the heart of a saint. So welcome, Dr. Wilkinson. We're so happy to have you on our show today. So you can hear us, right? Yes, thank you for the invitation. (laughs) You're very welcome. So why don't you just take a minute and tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You know, what do you do? What's your background, your education, all that stuff. So we know we're talking to somebody really credible. We already know that, but we want them to know that too. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about it. So So, um, I'm also a uh, person that's been affected uh, by breast cancer in the sense that uh, I've had family members who have been diagnosed, unfortunately, with breast cancer and recurrent breast cancer. And I think that that was a definite motivation as I was looking into which specialty to seek out uh, during the general portion of our education in medical school. I initially uh, had thought about uh, seeking out medical oncology just because that's the area that I think most of us are familiar with, the concept of an oncologist. You know, there's surgeons Mm -hmm. and oncologists, Mm -hmm. and those are the specialists that uh, uh, will administer chemotherapy as well as targeted agents, which have become very important in the last couple years. And then the area of radiation oncology, uh, which uh, has been brought up so far in the show, is one of the maybe lesser-known areas of medicine, but it's uh, within cancer care one of the three major ways that we will treat cancer. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah, yeah. So, why don't you speak a little bit about your background? Your, I mean, sure. how you got here. You just said, but your education and maybe some of the experience that kind of led you to where you are right now. Yeah, so uh, we were part of a Navy Navy family, so traveled around, but family is originally from Texas. So I did undergraduate okay. training at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas Christian uh, Medical School at Texas A&M, and then my uh, intern year in Baltimore, uh, University of Maryland, uh, followed by mm-hmm. residency training, which uh, for radiation oncology, besides your first intern year, is four additional years. And that was a true blessing. It was a period of time with um, what I would say are uh, giants in the field in breast cancer, Dr. Frank Vicini, uh, Dr. Alvaro Martinez, and Dr. Peter Chen, amongst others. Um, Beaumont Hospital, uh, William Beaumont Hospital, north of Detroit, is 
one of the locations in the country that has pioneered partial breast radiation. And uh-huh. so a lot of the focus on what we did at Beaumont uh, really um, involved breast cancer. And so that was um, a, uh, just a true, just great opportunity to continue mm-hmm. some research that I had started in medical school on partial awesome. breast radiation. That's yeah. great. Well, yeah. you know, before we get into proton therapy, can you, Yvonne, did I just cut you off, honey? I'm oh, sorry. no, no. I'm, you know, and, and actually, I'm just going to add something because when, when you were talking about the fact that oncology medicine is kind of at the forefront of what everyone thinks about, and I'm sure in the medical field, that's like, uh, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy because I come from a football fa- family, <laughs> and, and I think this, this kind of draws it into a really great perspective, and that is that, you know, the oncologist is kind of like the quarterback. He, mm-hmm. it, that person is the person that really is kind of guiding the team. And I really feel like the radiation and the radiology department is almost like the, the receivers. You know, mm-hmm. you guys take the handoff at a very critical time, and we don't, we don't reach the end zone. Um, without you many times and some and sometimes you know that 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 to me is a visual that just popped into my mind and I don't know if you're you know coming from Tennessee I would imagine you're football people but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just, I'm guessing oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well well consider our, our our own Marcus Mariota is is playing back there we, we we've got to throw in a little pitch for that so you know it's it's absolutely I, I think an analogy that in our hearts um, everyone's important on the team and um, you may be the receiver and you may not be the quarterback, but that's a pretty powerful spot. So definitely be proud of where you are in the picture. So That's a great analogy. I really like that. Yeah, really, think, really so, good. You know, some patients, you know, you always need a quarterback, but sometimes it's going to be a receiver. Sometimes, you know, it's going to be, some, you know, uh, someone that's going to run the ball. So, you know, you may or may not meet a radiation oncologist during, um, you know, a journey with cancer, but it's always, I think, someone uh, to get mm-hmm. another set of eyes. And, you know, the concept of crossing your T's and dining your I's, a a lot of times we talk about just the multidisciplinary tumor board conference that most women, their cases will be presented at a multidisciplinary tumor conference. So even though they may not meet a radiation oncologist, it doesn't mean that um, the input has not been given, you know, when when the plan of care has come together. Yeah, that's true. I know my case was taken to a tumor board and, you know, it's kind of like getting the best minds to look at your case and go, okay, this is what we all think should happen. And, and then they come, your doctor comes back to you with, with the result. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to know that, that you've been given that much scrutiny in your can. I love, I loved that. So let, let's move on with our subject because we got a lot to talk about, but I want to sure. just ask you kind of, um, you know, briefly and just sort of more generically before we get into proton therapy, why is radiation in a kind of global perspective an important part of breast cancer treatment? What does it do exactly? So radiation has, uh, and I think maybe many of the listeners might be surprised to hear this, but uh, radiation has been around longer than chemotherapy has. It was oh. discovered in the late 1800s and first used for cancer care beginning as early as the late 1800s and into the early 1900s. It is wow. a modality that uh, will um, damage the DNA with either, and most of your listeners will probably be familiar with the concept of a DNA molecule. There's, it looks like a ladder that's twisted. And those yeah. two parts of the ladder, uh, when you break those two bar- parts of the ladder in half, cells have a difficult time in repairing that, especially cancer cells. Oh. We call that a double-strand break, uh, which is the kind of mechanism of action, if you will, of radiation therapy. And so we'll create these double-strand breaks and single-strand breaks that an average cell has the ability to fix, 
but a cancer cell because it's so busy growing and dividing and trying to become a cancer cell, it loses that ability to fix some of the basic things that can happen to a cell. And that's the difference when you apply radiation <sighs> over an area that you're trying to treat that you know is either has tumor, you know, that's definitely been diagnosed, or maybe it's an area that we think tumor cells might have spread to that we're going to cover in a preventative measure. That mm-hmm. that's, that's really where you're going to see that difference, that the cancer cell okay. should not be able to survive that where a normal healthy cell, even though it might be affected, you might see some side effects that it should be able to repair itself and handle those side effects. You know, it's interesting um, that you say that because when I when I was diagnosed the last time, you know, with my it, what happened was they found um, a hot spot behind my breastbone near my chest wall, and the oncologist or the radiologist who uh, read the the uh, thing, you know, was it done enough through a PET scan? And when they read that, um, they said that it was consistent with metastatic disease because I it had traveled obviously from my breast. And so when I went when I met with my radiation oncologist, he asked me a question. He said, "Do you want to just treat the hot spot, or do you want to treat the entire region?" And I said to him, "Well, I, I kind of see it as as ants. If I see an ant on my floor." I know it's not one ant. I know there's probably thousands okay. in the in the wall. So let's yeah. go after the wall. And he agreed that we should do that, but he wanted it to be my choice. So what yeah. you're saying is in that radiation process that the radiation is not going to permanently damage the the healthy tissues, the healthy cells. It's going to be the cancer one that, I mean, even though it's hitting all of them, it's the cancer one that is not going to be able to repair itself. Is that, did That's I hear right, that right? right. Okay. Yeah, the greatest effect is going to be on those cancer cells. And there's other ways that we protect healthy tissue through blocking, through use of technology. One of the more um, recent developments in radiation oncology is uh, something called intensity modulated radiation therapy or IMRT. And a lot of patients, you know, especially when lymph nodes are involved in breast cancer or potentially we're trying to spare uh, parts of the body, uh, IMRT or this intensity modulated radiation uh, will be used. And that's a technology that's available across the United States. A lot of patients, uh, you know, will have that discussion about uh, the different types of radiation. That's one of the tools that we have available to us. Okay. Cool. And doctor, can I ask on that note, is that kind of an extension of the targeted radiation that they used to do? I was treated seven years ago and because of a heart issue, they, they gave me what they called targeted. Was Is that the same idea or is that sort of an advancement of that concept? It's the same idea. So in general, when we talk about targeted radiation therapy, it is a step forward with what we used to do. Um, you know, radiation oncology, as I mentioned, has been around for a very long time. And especially, you know, as uh, it's developed, the technology has uh, gone along with the, with the different iterations that we can do. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. radiation was initially introduced in kind of a two-dimension planning. And as we've moved to three-dimension and now uh, computer-based modeling, it allows mm-hmm. us to, much in a much more sophisticated way, shape radiation dose away from critical structures like the heart, mm-hmm. like the lungs, um, you know, that, that uh, are so important when we're treating patients with breast cancer. Yeah, that's really good. So um, did you have any other questions, Yvonne? Because we, we have about two I, minutes before we go out to break. So Yeah, and I, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about the idea of targeted treatments and what have you, but, but really the question that comes to mind, and we can start the conversation on doing the whole breast versus the chest wall, you know, the, the, the decision process that women need to make, um, what, you know, briefly, and we can touch on it more after break, what, what's a starting point on that thought? 
So it really depends on the size of the original tumor as well as the amount of surgery that's done. And so for tumors that are generally less than three centimeters um, or less than five centimeters, uh, we can usually do partial uh, breast surgery. And in a patient that's undergone partial breast surgery or a lumpectomy, uh, they would get whole breast radiation. If a tumor is larger or if it's the patient's choice to pursue a mastectomy, uh, then we would look at um, radiation for the chest wall in certain gotcha. scenarios, gotcha. If you have a very large tumor or if the lymph nodes are potentially involved. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, because we do have to go out to break. So we will um, we will pick this up because there's a whole lot more conversation around all of this. So stay tuned and, and we'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about proton radiation therapy with our guest, Dr. Ben Wilkinson. And, and I have to tell you, Dr. Wilkinson, before we start, I when I read about uh, proton radiation, I decided personally that you need to wear a superhero cap because <laughs> proton radiation to me sounds like it should be something out of the Avengers. It's a fabulous <laughs> title. It's just great. So I think we need to get you a cape or some kind of yeah. a superhero <laughs> shirt. So That's very um, cute. Anyway, just to get a 
us going back on our topic we were talking about before, I know something that um, is is also a part of my journey, and that was the regional nodal radiation when women have uh, lymph nodes that are involved, and and obviously that's a really scary thing to hear, and and something that I know radiation addresses. So maybe we could talk a bit about that as well. Sure. So. Um Cancers in all parts of the body um, have the ability to spread either through blood vessels or through what we call lymphatic channels. And the lymphatic channels that lead to lymph nodes, I describe these to patients as kind of little Brita filters that are uh, distributed in your body, that they filter the kind of cellular debris or the uh, parts of uh, the body that are uh, waste products potentially that are not being filtered by your blood. And so it's very common for a cancer to uh, spread along these lymph channels. And when we either think that there's a potential that there could be cells in a lymph node or if we're sure that there's a uh, potential that there's cancer cells in a lymph node through a process called sentinel lymph node mapping or um, an actually a lymph node dissection where the surgeon, the breast surgeon actually takes out the lymph nodes, uh, then we would offer radiation uh, to the area underneath the arm, which we call the axilla, uh, the area under the collarbone, the infraclavicular lymph nodes, as well as the supraclavicular lymph nodes. Those are the lymph nodes above the collarbone. An area that's would that become, would that also apply to the internal mammary node? Because that's where that's where my cancer was the third right. time. Yeah. So that's what okay. I was uh, kind of going uh, regionally. And internal mammary lymph nodes have have become much more of a focus point in the last. Uh, five to six years. Um, it was believed at one time that unless uh, a internal mammary lymph node was clinically involved, that we may not need to address it either with surgery or radiation. However, through some recent studies, including one called the MA20 study, we know that if we offer radiation to the internal mammary lymph nodes as well as the regional lymph nodes around the collarbone, that women have a lower chance of a recurrence. Oh, um, wow. And it's especially for uh, patients you know, with, uh, with uh, breast tumors that are located on the inner half uh, of the breast. Uh, you can okay. imagine that uh, if the uh, tumor location is closer to the breastbone or the sternum, that the chance that they could involve the lymphatics that lead to the internal mammary lymph nodes to be even more likely, although that can happen even with outer quadrant tumors as well. Hmm. Wow. Oh, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I, I did that. I mean, I didn't do the targeted, but I know it hit it at the same time. So, wow. Well, okay. And, and then some women are needing really what they refer to as partial breast irradiation. Possibly you could explain a little more about what that is. Sure. So the concept of partial breast radiation was developed in two parts of the United States, uh, at least here in the, in the U.S., um, and they kind of a similar uh, story. Um, uh, in Louisiana and Michigan. Um, in Michigan, we had uh, women who would travel from the upper part of Michigan, including the Upper Peninsula. And when they would travel for their surgery and their surgery consults to the, low, to the uh, southern part where Detroit is, uh, they would hear about regular radiation lasting five to maybe six and a half weeks. And that was mm-hmm. often very difficult for them to do from a family sure. perspective or yeah. a social perspective. So the concept of for these very small tumors that had relatively good features like estrogen positive or did not have the margins involved, they were lower grade and the size was not uh, that large, maybe one to two centimeters, 
the concept of only giving radiation to the area right around where the tumor was discovered uh, was started. And so that uh, initially started in Louisiana, um, similar uh, concept for a patient that came from South America that needed to get back to her family. And so radiation was uh, delivered at first to that area right around, uh, right around the, uh, the surgery site. What we know now is that there appears to be equivalence based on European data, and we're waiting for the, ran- the results of the randomized trial that was done here in the United States to say that uh, there's an equal rate of control um, when you do partial breast uh, radiation versus whole breast radiation after limited surgery for very select patients. And that, that would be the part that I would share is that um, if there are uh, patients that are uh, listening, you know, women that are listening right now that are thinking about whole breast radiation versus partial breast radiation to very, you know, have a very careful discussion with uh, their surgeon as well as their radiation oncologist about the, you know, potential benefits or potentially if it's not right for them because there can always be a risk that the cancer cells could be further away than that area, you know, with partial, sure. with partial breast. Sure. Wow, yeah. that's 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 fascinating. I I you know I've heard of that, and wondered what the whole concept was behind it. And you know the the biggest thing that we all are unfortunately faced with the fear of, and that is the metastasis of the cancer and the cancer spreading. Uh, it sounds like what you're talking about with radiation is really limiting the opportunity for those cells to do that. And is that kind of what I'm hearing? That's right. So we know that a cancer cell um, can grow locally, but also can get access to other parts of the body, either through those lymph channels or through the blood vessels. And if we Uh control the area locally and we create that um, environment where that cancer cell can't survive, then the chance of them them developing distant metastases, which is what we call it, or, you know, cancer that is spread to a non-regional site would go down. Interesting. You know, that that actually brings up a question that, um, and Yvonne, I, I think you were probably going to ask this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, and that, you know, when we talk about metastases, I know when we talk to patients through Breast Friends, and we, you know, we've over 17 years that we've been formed as Breast Friends, we have talked to thousands of women. And this question comes up a lot of times if, if their cancer has spread to their lymph nodes, like under the arm, where you're talking about, you know, staying regionally, does a radiation oncologist consider that a metastasis or, or not? Could you clear that mystery up for us, please? Yeah. So if you look at the pathology results uh, after a surgery is done, it commonly will say that there's a, a lymph node metastasis. We would consider mm-hmm. that, though, to be regional. So even though we use that mm-hmm. M word, I'll say, um, it doesn't <laughs> have the scary same. word. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's a lowercase m. And uh, okay. the ones that we worry about to a greater degree would be, of course, a cancer that has spread to another part of the body, maybe to the lung, the liver, or the bone, mm-hmm. or sometimes okay. even the brain. And those are the most common places that we see metastasis from um, okay from uh, breast cancer. Okay. I think that it's that important makes... to say in the same, same you know, kind of uh, mentality is that these sites that um, develop distant metastasis, sometimes it's only a very limited amount. And one of the ways that we're advancing or trying to advance uh, care for breast cancer patients is that if there's a patient that may have very few sites of metastatic disease that we know that uh, some of those women, especially if they have a favorable molecular profile, an estrogen-positive tumor or a HER2-positive mm-hmm. tumor, that they uh, may 
benefit from what we call oligometastatic disease treatment, where we offer radiation even to some of these distant sites, and that's an area that has an ongoing clinical trial that's uh, testing mm-hmm. that right now here in the United States. You keep tapping in on everything that happened to me because I'm a, a HER2 patient and I, mm-hmm. I had a lowercase m in my world because I did have um, lymph node involvement both mm-hmm. under my arm and in my breast. And it's, it's, it's very comforting to hear the information you're giving. So I'm, I'm hoping the women that are listening out there are, are feeling the same. Uh, I mean, knowledge is power, but it is nice to know. Um, one thing I would, I would kind of ask, and again, this gets back to the, the issue of of targeted radiation versus um, broad spectrum, and that is when you're dealing with different parts of the body, like the heart and the lungs. Um, you know, I know from my own experience that that was a really big concern. And and why is that? So we know that as the survival of women with breast cancer, because that's one thing. It seems like that the incidence of, of breast cancer is staying roughly stable now over the past couple of years, but that survival is getting better, that more women are surviving their uh, cancer diagnosis, that the impact of the therapies that we do, whether it's surgery or chemotherapy or radiation therapy, that uh, the quality of life and survivorship aspect is really important. And when we think about radiation, the two most critical uh, organs that are nearby that we would be treating would be the breast, especially for patients with left-sided breast cancer or if the internal mammary lymph nodes are at risk, as well mm-hmm. as the lung, which sits uh, just underneath the breast tissue on both mm-hmm. sides of the, of, of the body. Yeah, and I actually give, had... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we know if we give radiation to those parts of the body, uh, that there's a risk that long-term you could develop, uh, you know, dysfunction either from the lung or from the heart that we're, we were not intending. And we learned that right. uh, primarily from patients that had not breast cancer but lymphoma. We would, can, you know, we would treat with a radiation beam that was aimed directly at the patient because that's where the lymph nodes were located, was in the center of the chest. And uh, we've learned that as you follow these uh, patients that have survived their lymphoma diagnosis, that there's a lot of cardiac implications. And although the the radiation beam is typically angled and skims across the chest when we do radiation for breast cancer, the heart, especially when we have to treat the internal mammary lymph nodes, can be very close, if not included in part of the radiation field, which is why the targeted radiation and sculpting the radiation dose away from the heart is very important. Mm Yeah, I kind of remember when I went through my last time, you know, with, with radiation, because it was in the internal mammary node, and they wanted to make sure they got that as well as everything else around. They used some kind of a heart shield, they called it, to make sure that it was blocking any access, but they couldn't block um, the top of my lung. And I remember being concerned about that, and I do think that there was probably a little bit of of lung damage, nothing that's been serious, but like when I'm outside and it's really cold out and I'm going for a walk and I'm breathing in really cold air, my chest hurts so bad, and it's, Mm. is that that normal from a radiation perspective, or is it just a weird coincidence and it may be something else entirely? No, I I think it can be normal. You know, everyone's body is different, and how we respond Mm -hmm. to any kind of therapy can be different, but that front part of the lung, uh, the pleura can have inflammation and even the first centimeter or two of the, of the lung tissue can have inflammation. 
Um, a lot of times if someone goes in for a CT scan for something else, you know, not related mm-hmm. to breast cancer, even if it's as a follow-up scan, we can tell uh, the radiologist would be able to just look and say, well, this nice lady must have had radiation treatment because her lung looks different um, in the very front part, mm-hmm. not, the whole, not the whole lung, but the very front and then would know that radiation has been given, so sometimes that can even be years later. Um, we typically okay. think that doesn't cause symptoms, uh, but I always talk with patients that it's, po- it's possible they could, you know, they take a deep breath in, they could feel that the chest wall is mm-hmm. more sore on the side that we're treating, or they right. might even develop a cough even from that area from something we call pneumonitis, which is the lung getting irritated by the radiation. And I know there's one other thing that kind of happens to women, and I can't right now, I I do have chemo brain, and I can't remember the term right now, but um, I've had to get it corrected through physical therapy, but it's kind of, and it happened after radiation, it's kind of where Mm -hmm. maybe all the, this kind of scar tissue stuff, and it's probably related also to the surgeries, but it can all kind of tighten up in your chest, and, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it feels like your lungs are giving birth to something. I mean, it hurts. And I've had to go in, gosh, I cannot th- think of the name of it, but I had to go in and have it um, manually kind of manipulated to loosen all that. And she did mention to me, the physical therapist mentioned that some of that could be an effect of, of radiation, although it's more likely the effect of scar tissue from the mastectomies and all the other stuff I went through. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, a couple of the... Um you know, anytime we do anything to the body, whether it's surgery or radiation, the tissue planes uh, through the process of inflammation and healing can stick together and sometimes can become more hardened and even contract. Mm-hmm. And so that can either be um, lymphedema that can be blocking of the lymph channels underneath the arm and uh, going oh, into the okay. arm, but that can affect mm-hmm. the breast and the chest wall as well or it can just be those layers of tissue that have become contracted and that can be, you know, there's nerves, the nerves you know, distributed throughout that part of the body uh, that can uh, be painful even for patients, uh, even years yeah. afterwards. I had a question too, doctor. I have a patient of mine who recently went through radiation and she had voiced concerns about, you know, the heart being an issue and her radiologist had her at one point of the process take a really deep breath in and then they were giving her her treatment, and then they would have her breathe out. And I had never heard of that before. Is that yeah, something me you've heard of? Yeah, it's a great way of offering radiation treatment for breast cancer. And so it's something that um, we think about um, in if you just picture your own body and you take a deep breath in, that uh, you're able to have the chest wall move out and away from the central structures in our body, oh. which would be the heart. <sighs> And so when we do that, we call that uh, deep or moderate deep inspiration breath hold or breath hold. Yeah, yeah, that's what she called it. Yeah, so you you take a breath in and you're able to generally hold that most patients for about 20 or 30 seconds. Um, But uh, and that allows us, especially with the more sophisticated technology, to be able to deliver radiation um, while the patient is taking their breath in. And we can do that with regular radiation and we can also do that with proton therapy. Why aren't more doctors doing that? I think that's fascinating. I, it's the first time I had heard of it, yeah. and it seems like that's that's kind of an easy fix to a problem. I know. I, 
When you when it, when I first heard that, Yvonne, when you and I were talking yesterday, I thought it was just so that they don't move and accidentally hit a wrong spot. Yeah. But what yeah. you're saying is that that actually pushes the pushes it away from the vital organs and gives you a kind of a wider plane, I suppose, to to work uh, with. It depends. Yeah, it depends on um, the patient's anatomy. So some patients, their heart uh, will be deeper in their chest. Sometimes it'll be closer to the chest wall. We believe it mm-hmm. matters more for left-sided breast cancer than right-sided uh, because okay. uh, a breath, uh, uh, breath inspiration or breath hold technique would probably help more on the left side. So women who have had right-sided, okay. they you know have, would be evaluated and deemed not to be um, good candidates for it. But I think it also goes to it's difficult uh, for patients to do sometimes. Um, so two of the systems that I've used, the active breathing control and the SDX system, um, you know, one of them has a video goggles that, um, you know, patients have to get used to. And I think um, some of our patients are older and they have a hard time with something being placed inside of their mouth, which is what um, is uh, measures the volume mm. of air that goes in. So it can be yeah. a challenge, but it is. I uh, have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is one of the tools we have. The other way that we do that that's a little less sophisticated, um, maybe, is that we can treat, instead of lying flat on the uh, treatment table, um, there's many centers that offer something called prone radiation, where um, if uh, any of your listeners have had a breast MRI, they would be imaged kind of facing down, and that allows the breast tissue to fall away from the chest wall. So if the lymph nodes are not involved, typically we can uh, set up a patient where they're facing down and gravity helps us by moving the breast tissue away from the chest wall and potentially away from the heart. So it's another way, another thing for uh, uh, women to ask their doctors about to say, do you offer breath hold or do you offer prone uh, breast radiation? Because those would be good ways of avoiding the heart. Excellent. Well, Dr. Wilkinson, we actually have to take a break, and we haven't even really gotten to proton therapy yet. So we're going to, that's the whole focus <laughs> of this show. But I think it's important for our listeners to hear kind of the, the what's standard and what's been standard, and then we're going to talk about what's newer. And so we're really excited to get to this last part of our program. So with that, please stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our Women's Cancer Program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling. 
again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back to our program. We've been talking about radiation therapy with our guest, Dr. Ben Wilkinson. Sorry, And I know we're going to get to proton therapy in just a moment, but I, I wanted to just say something. You know, Dr. Wilkinson, you mentioned that radiation therapy has actually been around since the 1800s. And when I went through it the first time in 1996, I had this horrible vision in my head that I was going to go and lay on this table and this big old weird looking machine was going to come down and, and zap little red lights out and hit me in the breast and, and or it was going to just be touching me and doing all this weird stuff and I was so surprised that there was no contact couldn't tell the machine was doing anything except kind of rotating but I wasn't hearing any electrical weird static or anything and so it was actually I was really scared going in but I was far less scared once I got there because it was so non-invasive and and I know that since then that was in 1996 so we're talking 21 years ago I know it's it's changed even more since then. So why can you speak to some of the technological advances that we've had in radiation therapy? And then let's talk about proton therapy, what it is and how it differs. Sure. So um, I will definitely say that the machines have become less and less weird over time. Uh, if you go <laughs> and, and take a look at some of the older machines, um, you know, it may have uh, felt like a different uh a different experience, but um, modern radiation therapy equipment is really designed to um, uh, keep a patient um, not worrying about some of those details. The machines are open, um, so if you're familiar with a CT scan or an MRI mm-hmm. that are closed uh, kind of rings, uh, radiation uh, machines are generally open, um, mm-hmm. and I think that surprises patients. You don't um, hear or feel anything except for the machine moving. And um, one of the nice things is that there's video and audio communication with the radiation mm-hmm. therapists who are licensed yeah. to deliver the radiation. And you really do uh, form a bond with those uh, therapists that are providing treatment every day. And they do. Yes, you do. Job. I can tell you all their <laughs> names. So. On my last day of treatment, on the first, ti- the first time around, my last day, I took my, my team to lunch. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, oh, I was going to miss family. them so much. Yeah, I can just really get close to them because you're seeing them every day and it's always the same people so you know you get to say hi and it's really awesome so anyway continue on sorry we digress yeah the uh, the technology has advanced and so we've we've moved from uh, largely from an era of 3d radiation planning which was essentially a a doctor and someone called a dosimetrist which was also a very important part of our team uh, lining up radiation in a straight line 
And we're now able to use blocks, which we call multi-leaf collimators, and bring those in and create new forms of uh, radiation or newer forms of radiation, something called field and field that we smooth out the radiation dose uh, throughout the breast tissue. And then Mm -hmm. the more advanced form, which I mentioned earlier, which is intensity modulated radiation therapy, where the computer then decides what's the, um, once you say this is the area we're treating, what would be the best way to deliver radiation from a, a, a intensity and an angle perspective? Okay. And so how does, what's the difference between proton and x-ray? I mean, I, there's just so much confusion in this whole arena. And, you know, I think because we've kind of been through it, we have some sense of it. But if we have a patient who's just getting started, there's so much to know. So I'm going to yeah. just kind of let you do some explanation. Like, what is that yeah. difference between the two? So proton therapy is a different way of uh, delivering radiation uh, therapy. Um, A regular x-ray beam is an energy wave that travels through the body. And if anyone has ever had a chest um, Mm x-ray, they would be familiar with the machine has a part that's in front of them that is the source of the radiation. And then the technologist would put a film or a digital cassette behind them. And the reason for that is that, uh, you know, the radiation travels all the way through the body and develops the film, and that's how the doctor then would see the uh, chest x-ray and what's happening Mm -hmm. inside of the chest. It's a very similar approach when we use regular radiation in that it is an x-ray that's going to travel all the way through the body. So with breast cancer, we generally aim the uh, machine at an angle so that it skims across the chest wall and includes the chest wall and breast tissue, um, and that that exit radiation dose will go on through the other side of the body and then uh, not um, hit any of the internal organs. But okay. because of how close the breast is to the heart as well as to the lung, Uh, especially when we have to go deeper into the body to cover some of the lymph nodes, like the internal mammary lymph nodes especially, then we can Mm -hmm. get a higher heart dose than we know is probably healthy for patients, especially for maybe younger patients that are going to live longer. A a proton beam is a particle instead of an energy wave that it has mass and it interacts with mass, so it only travels to a set uh, depth inside the body. It then Mm -hmm. delivers its radiation dose um, at the depth that we calculate, and then it completely stops. So it allows us within 8 to 10 millimeters of where we point a beam to be able to guarantee that there's no additional dose from that point forward. And it does make a difference as we plan a radiation uh, case in that we can spare some of the internal organs in a greater degree than we can with regular radiation. That's so exciting, you know, kind of speaking to what Yvonne was talking about earlier. So let me ask you this, is it, I know like a a kind of a standard treatment, like we said, somebody said earlier on the show, that it can go anywhere from, you know, five weeks to seven weeks of daily radiation. Is proton therapy the same course of, is it the same amount of time or does that, is that varied as well? It is. So generally it's the same dose that goes to the breast tissue. And it's important to say that there are shorter courses of radiation that are available Partial breast radiation is generally one to two weeks, and there okay. is a uh, version that, that we call hypofractionation, or some of us call it Canadian uh, radiation therapy because that's where the clinical trial was done, that you can do radiation in four weeks instead of six and a half. 
But in okay. general, that the length of time uh, with proton therapy is going to be the same amount, uh, okay. the number of weeks or number of days. It's just not going to have as much internal radiation as a regular okay. regular radiation plan okay. might. So the impact on perhaps um, uh, having breast reconstruction afterwards, because I know that is one of the mm-hmm. one of the deciding points a lot of women kind of really struggle with is if I have radiation and then my cancer comes back later, there's two things. Can we re-radiate the same breast mm-hmm. using proton therapy? And is it does it have that same kind of negative impact on on the you know possibilities of a great outcome for plastic surgery? You know, I mean, I know there's ways around some of that, but it's it does complicate things, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. And so whether it's regular radiation or proton therapy, the effect on the skin can sometimes be very frustrating for patients as well as it can be for doctors. We know mm-hmm. we need to do the therapy to, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's, as we talked about right. earlier, to treat those cancer cells that are um, that have a high probability of being there. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, we can um, have to deal with sometimes the contractor of the breast, whether it's whole breast and uh, someone who hasn't had a reconstruction or even someone who has had reconstruction and the capsule around the implant can then shrink and it can either become painful or require right. revision. So whether right. we do regular radiation or protons, um, we run into a lot of those same challenges. Same issues, yeah. You know, and it, it is touchy. Yvonne, you have something you want to share? No, and actually, I apologize. I was actually going to head back to what you had just sent about the the study that's been done in Canada with the four weeks on the radiation. I just had one of our programs last night. We call it our Girls' Night Out, and it's an opportunity for women to come together and kind of share their stories and also kind of compare notes on what's going on. And one of my ladies um, is having uh, the four-week treatment, and one of my other ladies was six weeks. And so they were kind of going back and forth. And, and would you mind clarifying a little more what the decision process is between going four versus going six? So generally, um, and this is something that's, um, you know, open to further development on research. But right now, in general, patients need to be over the age of 50 and have relatively small tumors that do not involve the lymph nodes to get the shorter course uh, which is the four-week, the three-and-a-half to four-week option. Um, and, and I think that that will develop over time. We, there was a recent um, um, article that was published uh, by a cancer center in New Jersey uh, that showed that you might be able to even treat the, um, the, lymph, ne- the lymph node spaces um, with the shorter course, uh, which is commonly done in Europe, but it's not done as, as often here in the U.S. So what I would say is definitely bring up the, uh, for anyone that's listening that's going through this or a family member, ask about the four-week option and, for that matter, ask about the shorter options, about two weeks, you know, one to two weeks with partial breast because um, the exact same plan will not be best for every patient. And through consultation with the radiation oncologist, I think that's really where that information comes out to find what's best. Wow. Well, you know, well, we're actually kind of getting down to where we're running out of time and we don't want to. So without at least having a chance to ask you a couple of questions about sure. specifically your clinic and then also how many clinics across the country and in other parts of the world are offering proton therapy? Because it sounds like it's pretty new. Yeah. So proton therapy uh, was developed in the 1950s, the concept and first used mm-hmm. in the 1960s. So it has been available. It just hasn't been as widespread as it is right now. Um, here in the United States, uh, we now have 26 uh, radiation on, uh, radiation facilities that are offering proton beam therapy. 
They include some of the largest cancer centers in the country, including mm-hmm. Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, uh, the Florida Proton Center. Um, I think Seattle Bay is Clinic. involved. Yeah, so multiple Seattle, of course. There's uh, University of Washington. So it's uh, multiple okay. different centers, including ours, uh, that is mm-hmm. located in East Tennessee, which is the ProVision Center for Proton Therapy. And we have uh, a passion for decreasing the side effects of radiation, which is mm-hmm. why we're not only operating a proton center here in Knoxville, but many people will actually travel from out of state or even internationally to come for treatment at these centers. But we're also Good. building proton therapy equipment here in Tennessee that we're going to install oh, in wow. Nashville, Orlando, yeah. and New Orleans. Now, does it, does insurance cover proton therapy the same way it covers radiation therapy? I mean, if you're covered, you're covered? Kind of so thing. Medicare offers um, very good support for proton therapy. Uh, sometimes a patient has to be on a clinical trial or a registry to follow outcomes, which we think is a really important part uh, to continue to collect clinical data. For patients okay. that, don't have, that aren't Medicare age, um, that uh, typically involves submitting to the insurance and doing mm-hmm. what's called a peer-to-peer discussion, but it can be more challenging Patients okay. who are under the age of 18, I think those are the ones that we have much more broad coverage. So it's it's almost a donut space of if you're older than 18 but under 65, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, Man, that's coverage. a big donut, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. So we're working well, on that. We have a lot of folks that are advocating for more broad coverage, and we appreciate anyone who's listening that is helping us with that uh, process uh, of uh, getting more coverage for proton therapy. So can you provide an email address, I mean, not an email, a website, if people want to learn more about your clinic or about proton sure. therapy? Yeah, so, so I think the, uh, our website is uh, www.provisionproton.com. And I think that's a good resource. It talks about just the general differences between proton therapy and x-ray therapy and goes mm-hmm. through several di- different clinical sites as well right. as kind of what to expect. I think it's a good okay. resource. But any Excellent. of the larger cancer centers also, so Mayo Clinic or MD Anderson would have information on proton therapy. Okay. There's Excellent. even uh, the uh, NAPT, which uh, if you go online to search their website, that they would offer some background on proton therapy as well. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you so much for being a guest oh, on our absolutely. show. We are we are out of time. So <laughs> um, we do want to, to encourage our listeners, if you're enjoying this show, please visit our website at breastfriends.org. There is a big blue button at the top of the page. I think it's blue. It might be pink. Anyway, it says donate. And if, you, if you're really enjoying this show, in order for us to keep it going, we have to pay for it. So we'd love to have you go on, click on that big blue button at the top, make a donation to keep this program alive. And, uh, and if you're needing information about how to support a loved one through their journey. We also have a tab on there that uh, is for patients or for friends and family to learn more about how they can help support you. And in the meantime, we will be back um, next week. Until then, remember, there's always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.